0: You can be opening your Bibles to the book of Luke in chapter 2. Thank you. Did I drop? Did I knock so it off? Yeah, I knocked it off, I guess. Um, anyway, uh, Luke chapter 2, be turning there. It's page 1018, 1018 in the Bible there provided for you if you want to use that one. Um, 1018. Uh, during the announcements, you heard about the Lighting Moon Christmas offering. And our, our goal is $30,000. The uniqueness of that offering, because... Um, as we give uh, as a church, we give also to what we call in Southern Baptist World the Cooperative Program, which supports all the ministries of Southern Baptist Convention. But the Lottie Moon is a distinctive offering in, in that the money given there goes directly to the missionaries. It doesn't provide the overhead. The overhead's provided by the other money we send. So um, we encourage you to give. It's sort of a uh, a special Christmas gift to to our missionaries that not that they get a Christmas gift from it, but uh, to provide their needs on the field because um, not every economy is like ours. Some live in a better economy or stronger, or let me try to say that right. A more expensive economy, and some live in a less expensive economy. Whether that's good or bad doesn't matter, but. Uh, so, the, so we have to allocate those funds So to make sure there's enough there for the missionaries as well uh, we, uh, we take up an extra offering a year for that So we encourage you to give The money goes directly to help those that, that are on that front line Well today we, we're doing an Advent series on the big four words of, of the Advent Last week was hope This week is the word peace um, And then we're going I believe to joy and then love uh, Doesn't matter the order This is a man-made thing It's not that old actually uh, but it is a, is a neat way to look at the Christmas story through these, these terms. And, uh, and so today, it's, I call it peace on earth because these are the, the four things that, that uh, we, we look at. And so let me just read Luke 2.14 for us um, because I'm going to use a lot of scriptures today. And I'll go ahead and remind you that the, the sermon outline and notes are on the web page and also on the, uh, on the app, you can look up the sermons. Even while today, you can look up on, if you have the app, uh, you can look up uh, this sermon and you can see the outline uh, there. Uh, and and it is a, it's a bare outline, but all those scriptures, uh, uh, well, they may not be there. They may be. Um, but uh, let's read Luke 2.14 just real quickly. It's one word, one verse, I mean. And this is what the angels were saying to the shepherds. And it says... Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. There's a story about a, a, a song, a hymn, and the hymn is Christmas Bells. I heard the bells on Christmas Day. And, uh, and, and they were written by a man, uh, he was a poet actually, and his son had gone off to the war between the states and had been wounded, and he got the news on Christmas Eve That his son had been wounded in that conflict. And he wrote these words. I heard the bells on Christmas day. their old familiar carols play. And wild and sweet. The words repeat of peace on earth. Goodwill toward men. Well as you can imagine. He was writing what the Bible said. About Christ and peace on earth. But he just got news that his son. Has been wounded in a war. And so. The next to the last verse, he got down there and he wrote these words. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth. Goodwill toward men. That was Henry Wadsworth Longfellow wrote that. Pretty tough uh, pretty tough thing going on there isn't it? I mean, today we live conflict around the world, potential conflict all around the world there's probably almost no spot on earth that is not uh, uh, tense uh, with, with the possibility of a new war or getting involved in a war and so I wanted to give you this today peace, peace is often sought but it's never found without Christ now once again the little film we just saw and I love those they have summed up everything I want to say as well so if you're paying attention and, and I always am afraid I'm going to repeat but what I found out is that most of us don't hear something the first time until you heard it 19 times and so, uh, so if I repeat it's going to be okay so I hope you can uh, kind of tie those together and, and Pastor Andy in his marvelous way always picks songs that help uh, support what we are trying to say so I, I, I want to I give you Some thoughts about what is peace and what what does it really mean? And what did these angels mean? I mean, what does that mean? If Christ's birth is bringing peace on earth and goodwill toward men, what does that mean? And because Jesus is called, and this is the first thing I want you to see, the Prince of Peace. The the, the first thing I want you to understand is he is called the Prince of Peace in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. And We all are familiar with that passage about the government be on his shoulder, and he'll bring peace. And Melchizedek, back in the Old Testament, the beginning, he was a figure that we're not sure what's going on there. Abraham had to go to war to uh, overcome an enemy who had come in while he was gone and taken away his family, his goods, and he chased them down. He, he got the stuff back. He rendered the enemy battle ineffective. And he brought the stuff back, and when he got back, there was a man who came out to meet him, and the Bible just says his name's Melchizedek. It's like he just pops on the scene. We have no background. There are no priests in Israel yet. Israel hasn't been born yet, and yet Abraham gives him 10% of the spoil, and the Bible doesn't explain why, but the Bible says he was the king of Shalom, the king of peace, and So we think that was a type of Christ. And Isaiah says that when this baby is going to be born, he'll be known as the prince of peace. Well, there's a hint in that. Later in the New Testament, the Bible says that Melchizedek was at least a type of Christ because he paid a tenth to him. It says that even Israel and Judah, being descendants of Abraham, because they were in their father, also was paying that tithe to Melchizedek, saying, Paul is saying this to the Jewish people, Hey, Abraham paid tithes to Jesus. That's the imagery, at least, that is given. Whether Melchizedek was an Old Testament appearance of Christ, which is my personal opinion, but it's only opinion because we don't know, uh, or not, that doesn't matter. The image is of that. And so here we come to Luke 2.14, and I hope you still have your Bible there. And we're introduced by the angels to, he's going to bring peace on earth, and we sing about it. But notice, I quote that in the King James, and it says about the same thing here in ESV. Glory to God in the highest on earth. It says, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Well, that gives you a hint. If you're thinking in the King James way, peace on earth, goodwill toward men, which men is the goodwill toward? Does he mean all men or particular men? And there's the hint that kind of begins to bring us to the answer. They announce peace on earth, but there's war, there's conflict. I've already said that. But here's the words of Jesus himself found in Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 through 39. I'm just going to look at two verses. Jesus said, whoever acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will deny those before my Father. There there is an idea that there's going to be this conflict still. There's still something going on out of Jesus' own mouth. He said, I came not to bring peace, but a sword. Now wait, the angel said he was going to bring peace to men on earth, and Jesus himself said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. Well, did he come intentionally bring a sword, or was he saying the results of who he is and men's actions toward him would bring a sword. The second is what, what he is saying. The second one is correct. We, the whole world is divided over Jesus. Whether they know it or not. You, there are plenty of people. If you want to go to YouTube. And look it up. There are people who are Christians. Who will go out and talk to people. About they do it I don't want to say in disguise but they'll ask questions and just go around well you can find those people just yelling at people but there are people that go up and they'll ask questions what are your beliefs what do you, what do you think what do you think about Christ and and people just are divided about Christ. They don't want to acknowledge who he is. No, I don't believe he's son of God. I don't believe he's, he's the creator of the universe. I don't believe that he created all things and everything's held together by him. He's a good religious figure or he's a good man or he taught good things. That's what they say. C.S. Lewis said that's not possible. Jesus could not have been only a good man because a good man would not lie. And Jesus was either lying, he was crazy, he was a lunatic, or he's who he said he was, he's the Lord of all. We don't have the option of thinking he's just a good man, and so there's a sword brought between people, those who will acknowledge Jesus as God and those who will not. Now he's not meaning that we pick up a literal sword and go to war with people that don't want to believe in Jesus. That's what they do in Islam. They don't they don't they don't tolerate if you they're trying to convert you, well, convert or die is, is the option when they're conquering. And and so Christ did bring a sword, but he didn't bring a physical sword. He brought a sword of disagreement over who he is and what was his intention on earth. That's what he goes on to say in this Matthew passage. Do not think I came to bring peace on earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her her mother-in-law. I don't know why he added that and didn't say son-in-law against his father-in-law. And... a that was supposed to be a little bit funny. And a person's enemy will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Does Jesus say we ought to hate our parents or hate, or hate our children? No. But he's saying if you have a loyalty for anything, and the most important thing he could think of, or, or would say, I'm not he could think of anything he wanted, but... Whether it's your mother or father or your own children, if your love for them is greater than your allegiance and love for Christ, then you don't love Christ. That's radical. We come to Christmas, and even people that don't like to believe in Jesus, "Oh, I got the Christmas spirit. It's so nice, because he's nice, and he wants to make everybody nice. No, he won't make everybody a follower of His. He wants everyone to follow Him you're not going to get hurt if you do that. You're going to get blessed. You get heaven at the end. You get his presence on this earth. But Jesus is telling us he's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. He's exclusive. You can have no other allegiance but Jesus if you're going to be a follower of Christ. And he ends this by saying, and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And the cross is not a cross of suffering. It's a cross of death. Whoever finds his life will lose it And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. If you become a radical follower of Jesus, you're going to have trouble. We've too long said, oh, come to Jesus everything will be better. Well, it will be better on the inside, but outside might get a little more difficult at times. So we have to ask, what is peace? And boy, I'm thankful for the film clip because it explained all the big words. Shalom and Irene. That shalom means to, to have a wholeness that it's not just it's not just an absence of conflict it's I become a whole man a whole person I, I've got everything I need I'm fully complete the word in the New Testament for perfection is the word completeness but the word for peace in the New Testament they didn't define it this way but I looked it up in the in the dictionary and the dictionary says it means to join or become one And the way he was explaining it, if you're at war with someone, and then not only do you quit conflict, but you begin to work together. That's the sense of that New Testament word. You join together in a common reason, a common cause. And so did Jesus bring peace to those who believe in him? Yeah. That's why fighting in church is such a sin. If there's a church fight, any church, this one or any other, I'll just say it. And I don't have any trouble saying that. I just say that so you don't think I'm mean. One or the other is an absolute sin. And it's very possible both of them are. It takes two people to fight. Because we're supposed to be working together. It's a good word, isn't it? That's what people of peace do. So, I want you to see how this happens. So I call it the reign of peace. And you can turn there if you want, but Romans chapter 5, I, I didn't uh, give all the, the numbers in my notes today, so um, I'm just going to turn there. I'll tell you what page it's on if you want to find it in this book. It's uh, 1119, 1119. Uh, We find Romans chapter 5 in the very first verse. And this is the foundation of our peace uh, in Christ. Romans 5 is a great chapter. I encourage you to go home, read that whole chapter. Then read chapter 6, then read chapter 7, then read chapter 8. Just keep reading. But verse 1 says, therefore... Okay, wait. There, you know what we got to do. Why, what's the word, there? For? Well, in chapters 1 and 2 of Romans, he shows that the Gentiles are under law and lost. Then he shows the Jews are under law and lost. And he says, everybody is under the law and lost. And need a savior, and so he begins to explain that in chapter three. So everybody's sin; all of us have sinned and come short of God's glory. And then in chapter four, he starts talking about how Abraham believed God, and he became a child of God. He became a follower of God. Uh, he doesn't say it explicitly. Paul does it in Romans, but in Galatians, he says that the, those who believe in Christ become the children of Abraham. When, when the Pharisees were fighting Jesus, they said, we are, we are Abraham's children, but we don't know who your dad is. And he said, if God wanted to, he could make children of Abraham out of these rocks. A rock can become a child of God if that's what God so desires. But so those who have faith, in, Rome, in, in Romans chapter 4, he talks about the faith of Abraham. And Hebrews says, and it was counted to him for Righteousness. His belief that God would take care of everything, his trust in the Savior, in God to be his Savior, brought him into fellowship with God. And so Romans 1 says, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, since you've believed in Jesus and he's taken away your sin by faith, you believe that God has taken away the guilt of all of your sin, the verse says, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ Notice that Peace with God I'm emphasizing that word Because I'm going to emphasize another one In another passage in just a moment But I want to stop there And go back to Luke 2 In your mind at least Peace on earth With those with whom he is pleased Here's what we don't understand I think sometimes Is man at war with God As a whole outside of Christ Yes But what we don't understand is God is at war with them as well. And God has a frown on sinful man. Because man apart from Christ cannot be righteous in his eyes. In the Old Testament, the end of the Old Testament says God is of purer eyes than to look upon sin, to look upon evil. How is God going to save us when he has to punish us for our sin? When his wrath is living on us. He became a man. He paid the price himself. And Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection turns God's frown into a smile. And now we have peace with God. We're not at war with him anymore. He's not at war with us anymore. God is reconciled to mankind because Jesus became a man and died in our place. If you're not following me, think about the crucifixion. I know we'll get to it at Easter at least, but think about it now. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the sky goes dark and the earth starts trembling. Because God is judging sin and he took it on himself. Paul writes in Corinthians, he who knew no sin became sin. So that we could become the righteousness of God in him. In Ephesians, he took this law, this handwriting of ordinance that so was against us. And he nailed it to a tree. He took on the penalty of the law on himself. And he, was, and he put himself on a tree, on a cross. And he died there for us so that we can have Romans 5.1, peace with God. We're no longer at war with him. We're no longer fighting his will. He no longer is condemning us to an eternity apart from him. Now his love can be made known to us, and we can be saved. Isaiah chapter 53 says this, Surely he's borne our griefs and carried our sorrow, and yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us shalom, that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we're healed. All we, we like sheep have gone astray. we turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Are you catching what it, count, what it takes to have peace? It's not, you know, there is really no peace in the world. There are brief periods of time where everybody's reloading. But there's never been peace. And there won't be politically until Jesus comes back and reigns as king. I told you I was going to contrast that with another verse. You can look in the book of Ephesians chapter 4. I'm sorry, Philippians chapter 4. I said that wrong. I knew I said it wrong, but I couldn't figure out what I did. It's the book after Ephesians. I got a verse in Ephesians 2. We'll probably get to. Pages are sticking on me. All right, Philippians in chapter 4 in verse 7. Now, there's a lot that goes before it, and it's important to know that. He says, uh, back in uh, verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious or worried about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. This is how we deal with anxiety in our life. We go to God with thanksgiving in prayer. We give it to Him And he says in verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard, and that word means fortress, build a fort around it, your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Jesus not only makes peace between men and God, but he brings peace into our life. Not only do we have peace with God, we can have the peace of God in our heart. Now, think about how much is God at peace. Well, number one, the Trinity is perfectly united as three in one, right? In such a way that we can't even explain it, much less understand it. Or we can't understand it, much less explain it. Either way, you won't say that. But yet, God is in perfect harmony. Do you think God worries when a war breaks out? Nope. Why? Because he's all-powerful, and he knows what's going to happen, and he's going to make sure what he wants to happen, happen. Right? Right? He, has God lost control of his universe? So he's pretty much at peace, isn't he? Because he's still got it handled. He's controlling everything. He's got it. You know, the, the Bible says, and it came to pass. It says that a lot. It means, and it happened later. And some old preacher said, that's how you face trouble, knowing it came to pass. It'll get over. Either you're going to die and go to heaven, or it's going to get over here. But it's going to get over with. It's going to pass. But in the moment, we get so anxious and worried. And the Bible says, well, tell God about it. And the peace of God will build a fortress in your heart and your mind. Not because you have the peace of God. Now you can have with God. You can have the peace of God, according to Philippians 4, 7. I think that's very important. I think it's a great thing. And I think you ought to hang on to that. You see, Jesus brings us peace in the midst of our conflict. Back in John 16... And and I know I've got you turning pages, but this is a verse that's meant a whole lot to me in my life. So uh, being important to me doesn't mean it's got to be important to you. But if you look on page 1073 in that Bible, I want you to see that Jesus promised that in the world we are going to be in conflict. We misunderstand that word when we think peace means everybody's got to be at peace in the world. He means only those who know God will have peace. Others can have peace if they'll follow Christ. But if they won't follow Christ, they'll never be at peace. They'll always be at conflict with themselves and with others. And why are they at conflict with themselves and others? Because they're in conflict with God. And God has provided the pathway of peace, the bridge to peace. And in John 16, uh, verses 32 and 33, here's what the scripture says. Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come. It's here on you, is what he's telling the disciples. When you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. He's telling them, they're going to put me on the cross, and all y'all going to run home to mama. Isn't that what he just said? He didn't use our southern terms, but isn't that what he said? He said, time is upon you. You're going to run home to mama, because you you're not going to be able to take it. Yet I'm not alone. For the Father is with me. I have said these things to you so that you may have peace in the world. You will have tribulation. Take heart. I've overcome the world. You see, the world wants to push us into a mold that takes us to hell. But Jesus broke the mold. He took it away. He said, I'm going to give you peace in the midst of this conflict called the world, called life. And we have to... We, we go through these things, but Jesus promises peace. I, I, I guess you've heard people say this. People say, how you doing? When I was a kid, I don't know why it seemed like I heard that more when I was a kid. People say, how in the world are you? Okay, some of y'all have heard people say that. And I always told them, in the world it's terrible. But don't worry, Jesus has given me peace in the world. I'm at peace. It's a good way to witness. So, how you doing? Say, oh, awful, but... Jesus, Jesus is doing real good in my life so I'm at peace it's a wonderful response Jesus promised that we can have peace and here's what he's doing he's bringing us into his kingdom because is there conflict in the kingdom of Jesus Christ not in the king of peace's kingdom there's no, there's no conflict that we are at peace and we see that in Ephesians 2. I tell you, I have a verse in Ephesians. Verses 13 through 18, and that's just before the book of Philippians. If you still are stuck there, you can just come back a little bit. And here's what it says. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near. Who was far off? Well, the sinner, but he's also talking about the Gentile. Paul was, Paul was a Jewish scholar, and the Jews... Up, until the New Testament, were the people of God. But now, everybody who comes to Christ are the people of God. And so, Paul is explaining this as, a, as the leading Jewish scholar of his day. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. Jesus is our peace with the Father. Let me make a statement. I'm, I'm going to try to repeat the statement a lot over time. Let me make it right now and call your attention to it. Everything that God wants to give you was purchased for you on the cross of Jesus Christ. You've got to understand that. Isaiah 53, by his stripes we're healed. Everything that God wants to give us is provided for in the cross. So we go back to Christ, we go back to the cross to receive it. And here in Ephesians, Paul is saying that. We were once far off, but we've been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. Who made us both, uh, who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. He's abolished the law. I don't have to keep the law. Now, there, there are those Christians who like to pick and choose things out of the law. And tell you, you got to keep those. So I just point out to them the ones they aren't keeping. Like, if you're a man in here and you want to complain about something, some part of the Old Testament law a man's not keeping and you don't have a beard that you don't ever trim, then you're breaking the law too. So get off my back. (laughs) Or if your suit is blended with anything other than one fabric, you can wear a polyester one or a wool one or a cotton one, but don't blend those suckers because you can't have clothes on to have blending. And do not eat bacon for breakfast. See what I 'm saying? We like to pick and choose things. we find, ooh, you know over here in Leviticus, what not chapter verse i don 't know says don't do this." And people throw that at you and you go, really don 't let people put you under the law. In Ephesians Paul says he abolished the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself. One new man in the place of two. So making peace. It's not Jew and Christian. It's just Christian. He took the two and made them one in himself. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. Thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off. And peace to those who were near. For through him... We both have access in one spirit to the Father. You say, well, when will there be peace on earth? I just got one verse for you. Chapter 21 of Revelation. When Jesus comes and takes over, then we'll be at peace. Until then, there'll be conflict, there'll be war, there'll be trouble. But we can have peace with God individually, and when we do, we have the peace of God so that we can bring other people into the kingdom so that they can be at peace. And if they're at peace and you're at peace with God, you can be at peace with one another. So what can we do about it? Well, first of all, make sure you have the peace of God. Make sure you have the peace with God because your sins are forgiven and that you have the peace of God reigning in your life because you're one with Him. And then... Have peace with everybody else. Have peace with other people. Because they need Jesus and you need Jesus. Listen, Jesus lives with me. I'm a a believer. I'm a follower. have been since I was eight years old. Jesus has never left me alone. He's always been with me since I openly confessed him as my Lord and my Savior. I still have to be reminded, right, that that's a fact. And that I'm called to be at peace with all men. And so we take slings and arrows and all kinds of things and don't retaliate because God is the perfect judge. I'm not. And we got to love each other, forgive each other, and be at peace with one another. So get, get peace with God if you don't have it today. If you've never come to a place in your life where you, before God, said, I'm a sinner and I need you to save me from my sin. Come into my heart. Come into my life. Change me. That's how you get peace with God. You just confess that you need him, and he will come in. And then you can start having peace with other people. And then be an ambassador of peace in the world in which you live. At home, at work, at play, be an ambassador for peace. Seek peace. Seek to be a peacemaker. Didn't Jesus say something about that in the Sermon on the Mount, about what peacemakers get? (laughs) Theirs is the kingdom of God.